Peace be with you. Good morning, Sojourn. It is good to see you this morning, both new and old. Good morning to our guests. Good morning to our members. Uh, and Happy New Year. So thankful that you all are here. Uh, before we jump into the text and the topic, you might not recognize me, uh, and that is because we're new. So I'd like to take a brief moment to introduce myself uh, and my family. My name is Drew Morgan. I am the care pastor here at Sojourn, and I have been here uh, since this summer. Uh, I'd like to show you a brief picture of, the, of me and the two uh, prettier members of our family. This is me, uh, my wife, Sarah, who is uh, lovely in every way and kind uh, and gifted in the many ways that I am not. Amen? And uh, this is Wit. Uh, he is full of life and joy, and he is such a blessing uh, to all of us. We moved here from Arkansas, uh, where we, I was a pastor there. We discerned the Lord's calling that, that he was moving us back to Kentucky, where we originally from, where people bleed blue, and... Oh. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Anyway, I'm, uh, we're glad to be back. Glad to be back where our family is. Glad to be uh, at this church where we've just discerned that the Lord is at work, and we wanted to join behind Him what He is already doing. I also want to say Happy New Year. New Year's remind us of fresh starts, new goals, new mercies that the Lord in His grace continue, continually provides us. As we said in the liturgy, we don't know how each of you are coming into 2023. You might be coming in with a limp. You might be tired from 2022. You might have felt burdened or experienced loss in 2022. You, you might be excited about 2023. You might see good things on the horizon. We are all coming in with cheers and with tears. And so I hope that as we begin this ministry of the Word and go through our service, that as we start our year with worship, that you recognize that you are doing exactly as you are created to do, that you are created to worship, you are created to enjoy God. And it's fitting, January 1st, that we get to start our year this way, and we pray that it endures for 2023. After talking with some pastors in preparation of this service, we thought it would be a good idea to incorporate a new element just today of what we might call a pastoral prayer, that New Year's are times of looking back, looking back at what God did in our church in 22, and looking forward prayerfully for 2023. And so in, in our Protestant tradition, this is, uh, is common to spend certain amounts of time to prayer, devoting significant amounts of time for adoration and thanksgiving intercession. Uh, and so we're going to do that. We're just going to take a minute to pray and look back and look forward. And so this is, this is my prayer for us. And so I invite you to do more than just listen, but that as I pray, this is not my prayer, but it is our prayer. And so we invite you to participate. And however you need to do that, I mean, let's be at ease here. If you need to stand while I'm praying to stay engaged, or you need to lift a hand, or you need to, to fall on your knees, then I invite you to do that because we are, praying, we are praying together. And if you want to respond simply in your heart to the Lord as we pray, I invite you to do that. If you want to say amen or, or yes, Lord, or hear our prayer, Lord, that's appropriate too. But I'd love the blessing to pray for us. And so let's just spend some time asking for the Lord's blessing and praising Him for who He is. Let's pray.
most benevolent God, you hold time and creation in your hands. You've created the sun that revolves, the earth that revolves around the sun. You've made the stars and the galaxies and you hold them together. Lord, in this new year, we want to take time to look back and thank you for your grace in 22. Lord, what you did in our church, we have seen people come to Christ to go from death to life in you. And we praise you for your grace in that. We thank you for our sent ones that have done ministry all across the world, that are sacrificing comforts and securities to see people come to faith that otherwise would never hear of you or your gospel. Lord, we, we thank you for how you moved in our church to serve our community in the medical clinic, in affordable Christmas, where we know that none of these are in our own strength and or planning, but they're, they're testimonies of your grace to us. And so we thank you, Lord, for this. We pray, Lord, that in turn we would also be faithful to your call in 23. Lord, as we look forward to this year, we pray we would be found faithful. And we don't know what faithful looks like for us. We don't know if we will experience growth or if we will experience loss. But you do, and I pray we would be found in the center of your will, that we would not deviate from it at all. We pray that people would come to faith, or that there are lost souls that were created to know you, and I pray that you would reveal yourself in your glory by saving sinners. Honor us as we honor you. Lord, when we pray, as we look forward to unknown circumstances and unknown happenings in 23, that it would all point to your glorious grace in Christ and our desperate need to be found in you. We are dependent creatures. Be with us as we develop new rhythms, as we, as we seek to grow spiritually. I pray for the individuals of our church, that their faith would flourish, that they would endure suffering, that they would find hope in dark places, that you would restore in them where they, they feel broken. Lord, we know that you're good, and as we sang, that your faithfulness is great. I pray we would experience that as a church. We pray these things, Lord, in the glorious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. And as we read, our text uh, is uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. And I'd like to read it one more time so that we, we can just get our eyes on it to see how Paul is an, encouraging a struggling church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. 
Our hope, for, our hope for you is unshaken, and we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us, not, make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. One of the gifts that the Lord has blessed his image bearers with is imagination. We have the unique ability to, to use our minds to create worlds and to create experiences and to create uh, scenarios simply by exercising this gift. And in our spirit-filled moments, we can actually use our imagination to help us to imagine the world through the lens of God's redemptive work and how he might use us to accomplish those ends that we see the world in front of us, that we see things that are happening, and we can, we can visualize what could happen in a redemptive experience here. God helped Abraham to imagine a future nation of God's chosen people that would outnumber the sand. He helped the apostles to imagine uh, the people of God growing in number by the preaching of the gospel and crossing racial and socioeconomic boundaries. It took imagination for that. God grabbed the imagination of the Reformers and Martin Luther that they dreamed of the Word of God being for the people. George Mueller was a saint in England in the 19th century. He imagined opening enough or, uh, orphanages in England to meet the needs of the country. He envisioned this and opened five orphanages that cared for over 10,000 children and opened 115 schools that educated over 120,000 in his lifetime. His imagination was so grand that he began to experience persecutions and to receive accusations that he was raising the poor beyond their natural status in Britain. So that he imagined something and pressed past the status quo because he knew this was a redemptive work, caring for the poor, giving opportunity to those in need. And so I want to uh, take some time to talk about imagination for 2023. Imagination is a, is a, it's a powerful tool. Unhinged imagination turns into to simply a fantasy or, uh, or simply imagining catastrophes that happen in our anxieties and worries. Unhinged imagination does not help us to pursue that redemptive call. But when we use our imagination in the spirit, we can begin to see how God might use us in the world to accomplish his means. So how do you see yourself in 23? When you imagine growth for yourself in 2023, what do you think of? When you think of these, these new rhythms that you want to develop, when you think about steps of faith that you want to take, what does that look like? How do you see yourself growing? As we unpack this text, I hope to accomplish uh, two things. It will give our church a vision of what care ministry looks like here at Sojourn, and that you'll be able to imagine how the Lord might use these three ways that he grows his people. 
Here are three priorities from 2 Corinthians 1 that will stir our thoughts and our hearts today. Here's a slide to show them. The first one, imagine gospel comfort. Imagine gospel community and imagine gospel conformity. These three concepts make up what I think are what I'm going to call gospel fundamentals. Fundamentals are the bedrock of success for any given skill that it's important that, the, that we have mastered the small things that we can do the big things. Bad fundamentals break under adversity. But if we have good gospel fundamentals, it will help us to endure what is coming in 23. In baseball, for example, the fundamentals of hitting is to have a solid swing. Right? You're, you're, that is tested in a game when the ball is moving fast and it's being thrown in a way that is meant for you not to be able to hit it. In that moment, you are not able to think and process your swing. You have had to have practiced over and over of this, this solid swing so that you can do it without thinking. And even the, the best hitters in the world will tell you the best way to practice your swing is to hit a ball off a tee that's not moving at all. Isn't, isn't that, that funny? That, that the best way to practice a good swing and to get out the kinks and to make sure that your fundamentals are right are to hit a ball that's sitting still. It's important that our gospel fundamentals are solid because we don't know what 23 holds. This is a, a standalone sermon, and so uh, we will be jumping back into Hebrews. So the amount of, of background and uh, understanding the text and understanding the whole entire letter of 2 Corinthians, uh, we're limited in time, so it's not appropriate or essential that we know every little thing about this book to gleam gospel-centered fundamentals. But there is a lot going on in 2 Corinthians. Here are uh, some quick points. 2 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to an up-and-coming church in the city of Corinth. There's a lot going on there, so it's important that we get that to understand what his encouragement is to them. Corinth was a church that is dear to the Apostle Paul. He had already visited them once where he spent a year and a half preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, as well as discipling those that had come to faith. So he knew them, saw them, knew the people that were in this church. And since Paul was an apostle, it was normal for him to, to travel to these various churches to continue to oversee uh, solidifying them as a church and making sure that they were moving in the right direction. In some of your Bibles, in the very back, you'll find maps of, of his, his journeys on, that he took to establish these churches. So this is, this is very normative for them. The Corinthian church, unfortunately, was a little bit of a problem child in the first century. Two of, uh, two of Paul's longest letters in the Bible, uh, when they're written to you uh, and he plans to make multiple trips to your church, things probably aren't that great, right? You get the, if you get a double text in the middle of the night and it's 50 lines long, it's not going to be that encouraging, is it? It's not. You wake up kind of like, oh, uh-oh. Second Corinthians had bad gospel fundamentals. Sorry, the Corinthian church had bad gospel fundamentals. Second Corinthians is trying to combat those fundamentals to reestablish their proclamation. One of, and if not the most central issues in the Corinthian church, was the presence and influence of false teachers. And it is this issue that is important uh, backdrop for our text this morning. These false teachers were making inroads within some of the church members there, and they had two objectives. The first one was they wanted to discredit the Apostle Paul. 
They, they, wanted to, they wanted him to lose his influence there, and they wanted to insert themselves in his place, bringing along with them a false gospel. They were attacking the church, and so Paul is combating the accusations that they are making against them and reestablishing the gospel that he brought to them. So it's important that we, that we understand that because uh, these false teachers uh, were, were cunning in their accusations against Paul because they attempted to discredit him specifically for his Christ-like character, which is interesting. They said that there is no way you should listen to Paul because he doesn't even charge for his sermons, which is interesting because in the first century, uh, these people would train themselves in speech uh, of being good orators. And what they would do is they they would give these speeches and people would come and they'd pay to listen, listen to them speak. And they're saying, Paul, he was not trained in this. He, he, is not, he is not an order. He, he is not even charging for what he is giving you. So why would you listen to him? Paul sacrificed that he would not have to charge for his speech. That he said, I do not want to be a burden to you, so therefore I'm going to work so that I can give the gospel free of charge. He is not trying to puff himself up. He is being attacked for his love for the Corinthian church. And if that doesn't sound like an attack of the enemy, I don't, I don't know one. The second accusation against Paul was that he suffered too much to be a true apostle. He said, Paul, the one who has been beaten across Asia to Rome, who, who has spent time, so much time in jail, who's poor, you want to listen to him? And again, this is an argument against Paul for his zeal to the Lord, that, he, that he, he endured all of these things for the sake of the churches, that it was his Christ-like character that compelled him to move past these things, and that the churches are better for it. Again, it's an accusation that, that he looks too much like Christ, that, that he sacrifices too much. I think that's an insidious accusation, and it gets to the heart of a, a theology that causes them to believe that if, if God is truly on your side, then he will bring comfort and success. If you truly have something to offer the world, then you ought to make a profit from it. These are accusations that breed bad gospel fundamentals. That brings us back to our text. In our first application of spiritual growth, imagine gospel comfort. Imagine that this year, you not only know about God's comfort intellectually, but that you would experience it. That you would be able to proclaim in a personal way, as this text begins, that God is a God of mercies, a God of all comfort. That you would be able to proclaim that in a, in a personal way, that God is that to you. For some of us, it's hard to think of God in that way. It's hard to say, God is my comforter, my refuge and strength. It's difficult for us to think that and to feel that because deep down we might feel like God is bearing down on us, expecting more from you. That you constantly need to be working harder and harder for the Lord because honestly, that's what a good Christian does. We might tell ourselves that. Maybe you believe that God is for you, but that deep down he's always harboring just a little bit of disappointment that he's given you a great gift in your life and that somehow you've squandered it and that he's disappointed. 
You might believe that, that God is asking of you something that you do not have. Maybe he's asking you to, to have more faith, but you can't seem to find it. He's asking you to be strong and to seize the day, but you can't seem to locate it. That he wants you to be peaceful, but that in your inner soul, you're in turmoil. Each of these beliefs have different core roots, but they all seem to be saying that God is distant and it's up to you to figure out how to get back to him. That you've got to work harder, that you've got to follow the path, that you've got to live up to the expectations. But friends, that is not the gospel. It's not the gospel that God is distant. That the gospel is that God came down to us, that he sought us out in our lostness and in our brokenness. That we have peace with God because of Christ and his blood alone. That's the gospel. And that brings peace and it breeds peace and it breeds gospel fundamentals. But we live in a world and we have hearts that tend to push us away from that. So we have to be very intentional about how we apply the gospel and how we remind ourselves of it. How do we live in it every day? How do we take it past conversion and experience the good news of Jesus in our everyday life? That is a gospel fundamental. And I think it's a gospel fundamental for 2023 that God's comfort is what we experience in the day-to-day. And if you can't find that, that's okay. God's gracious in the way that he leads us through these things. It's his kindness that draws us back to himself. In a devotional called The Gospel Primer, Milton Vincent says this, God did not give us a gospel, his gospel, just so we could embrace it and be converted. Actually, he offers it to us every day as a gift that keeps on giving to us everything we need for life and godliness. The gospel is for every day, brothers and sisters. This is not news to us here at Sojourn. We sing and we preach the gospel every single week, right? Many of us uh, believe in this good news, and that's why we're here. We value togetherness. We, vow, we, we, we value the living the gospel out together. But if God's comfort in the gospel is something that we believe, why is it difficult and a struggle that we experience it regularly? One of those reasons we don't experience God's comfort is that we do not seek to experience God in His Word and receive His comfort. When was the last time that you sat down with the Word of God and allowed it to, to fill your heart and your mind until it settled your restless heart? Friends, the Word of God, it is, it is for you. It is for your building up and for your edification. It is for lost souls that long for a better world and to be made right with God. The gospel comfort that we long to experience, it exists in the Bible that is given to us. And I want to encourage you, when you find yourself in need of the Lord's comfort, try opening up the Bible and reading a psalm or reading a story about Jesus and how he interacts with sinners. And allow that word to to saturate you. Because when we come to the Lord in need of comfort, typically it comes, it comes from outside. It's circumstantial. Something has happened to me in which I feel like I need something that I don't have. I think that's a normal experience in a broken world. Things happen that we do not like. Things happen that we do not expect. 
and it robs us of comfort. But what the Word does is it doesn't simply solve those circumstantial changes, but it forms us into who God wants us to be in those afflictions. And that's a difference. Do do we come to God looking for answers to our problems, or do we see Him as the answer? There's comfort in that. As the, the Word pierces to my soul and convicts me and helps me to see that if I value what God values... And if I see what God sees, that I receive comfort that I didn't have in the same circumstance that I came to him in. That's gospel comfort. We'll find rest in circumstances that are not restful. You'll find peace in spaces that aren't peaceful. You'll find joy where there used to be mourning. So next time you find yourself longing for the Lord to comfort you, meditate on God's word before you go to a friend to talk. Meditate on God's Word before you go on that walk or you go on that run of trying to, trying to settle your mind in that way. Go to the Lord in meditation before you move on, hoping that the distraction will solve it. Go to the Lord first and find comfort in areas where you did not previously have. And this is, this is biblical meditation. That as we meditate on God's Word, that we are filling our hearts, we're feeling our souls with what we need. There's a common practice of meditation in which we seek to, uh, to get out all of that that is in us that is not right. We, we try to, to empty our minds, to get rid of the things in us that cause us turmoil. But biblical meditation is putting the right things in. And I think that's different. I, I think that brings something more than a simple uh, uh, blissful absence of stress, but bringing in the answers and, and, and communing with the answer in the middle of those things. Biblical meditation is putting the right things in. You'll find that in Psalm 1. You'll find that in Psalm 119. There are, are many places where we are encouraged to put in the Word of God. I want to encourage you with that, that there's gospel comfort in that, and, and, and not to grow weary in that practice, because we might be tempted to think, as soon as I do that, I will have peaceful feelings and comfortable circumstances, which again, it's we're looking for answers and we're not communing with the answer. And so as we meditate on God's word, endure in this practice because in time it will bear fruit. He will change you, not your circumstances. Second reason that we may not regularly experience God's gospel comfort is because we attribute God's comfort only to those pleasant feelings or only to peaceful circumstances. So if we're looking for the one thing from God, we're looking for something from God when really we should be seeking to go to God. Those are, those are small differences, but they're important and they, they bear fruit for us. Because if you don't get what you want from God, you leave discouraged. I do. I feel discouraged when I feel like I need comfort from God and I don't get it in the way that I want. But if I'm conformed to seek the comfort God wants to give me, I find myself more satisfied in that. Paul encourages the Corinthians to experience the same comfort that he has received. What what is this comfort that Paul has received? It's the comfort of knowing Jesus. That's what that he's pointing back to. He's in I received comfort from God by knowing Christ. I want you to experience that same comfort. 
Again, it's not an arbitrary comfort. It's not, it's not a random comfort, and it's not a peaceful feeling all the time. But that we would experience the comfort that God has given us in the gospel, that we can name the comforts that we have. In your meditation, I invite you to, to meditate on the things that God has given you in Christ. That your, your sins are forgiven. When was the last time in your meditation that that, that that was the focal point of the meditation of your time with the Lord? Your sins are forgiven. That he will not hold them to your account. That is a beautiful reality. And it changes us. And so we need to continually fill our minds with the reality of the benefits we have in the gospel. They're good. And they're meant to be put in and they're meant to be saturating they're not one-time experiences. They are every day. And that's, that's the, the crux of the argument here of experiencing God's gospel comfort is that it's not a one-time experience, but it's an everyday reality. And that takes, that takes putting ourselves in the crosshairs of God's grace, which means being in the Bible. Meditate on the reality that you have peace with God. Again, he's not distant. He's near to you. Can you meditate on that? You have peace with God. You have freedom from the shackles of your sin and death. You have freedom from those things. They no longer have a hold on you. That changes us. And it changes our outlook. It changes the way that we see the world. And we see ourselves in the redemptive story when we meditate on these things. Here are a few diagnostic questions to ask yourself. Because we might say, I believe the gospel, and we do. But what we struggle with is that we struggle to believe the gospel in everyday life and that we forget. We forget the gospel. We, we tend to look inward on ourselves and we see ourselves differently. But here's a question to ask yourself about applying the gospel rightly. How do you respond when you sin? We sin. We can say that, right? We know that. How do we respond when we sin? That says something about the gospel that we believe. Do, do you go into self-pity? And do you, do you go so inward that, you, that you're despairing and, and you lose life and you lack joy? What does that say about the gospel you believe? Do you seek to work harder? Just put it aside. I'll do better. I'll fix this. I won't do that again. I promise. I said that. How do we respond when we sin? Do you, do you confess your sin and receive God's comfort in Christ immediately? That 1 John 1, 9 that promises us that, that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That he takes off your dirty shirt and gives you a clean one. That that's the experience whenever we sin is that we take joy in that. We rejoice in that. That should be a regular practice for Christians, that in our repentance, we receive gospel comfort. How do you respond when you're sinned against? Again, this is a, this is a gospel question. How do you respond when you're sinned against? Do you take an apology? Do you tell them just, just don't do it again? Do you forgive them? Do you harbor Bitterness, all of these things are temptations for Christians. 
The Christians experience these temptations. But if we remind ourselves of the gospel, who we are in Christ, how he sees us, and how he invites us to interact with others, that the way we respond to those that sin against us is countercultural. That we can forgive and truly be at peace even though we have baggage in our relationship in the past. That's gospel fruit. That's a gospel fundamental. How do you respond when you experience suffering? All of these questions are diagnostic questions, and they'll reveal the gospel fundamentals of your heart. So in 2023, I invite you, as you look at your gospel fundamentals, to think about resetting those rhythms and reminding yourself of the hope you have in Christ and how it impacts you every day. Because we sin every day, we are sinned against every day, and we suffer every day. There is a lot of fruit to observe about the nature of our hearts. And so we want the gospel to be applied to that. And so we have to develop the rhythms of resetting, of going back to the gospel on a tee and applying that. Receive God's gospel comfort every day because there are many opportunities to do that. We would miss the point of this text, though, if we thought that the gospel comfort that we experience is meant to start and end with ourselves. The second application is to imagine gospel community. Imagine gospel community. Let's read verses 5, and se- five through 7 again. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. This is interesting because what Paul is, is, is doing here is that he is showing that his ministry is Corinthians-focused. That, that, that the comfort that he has received is for them. That they share in the sufferings with him. Right, that there, there's this bond that they share that includes comforts and sufferings. And that this, this is different in the ways that the, the, the false teachers, these false apostles, the way that they want to engage with the Corinthians. The Corinthians want to, the, the false teachers want to lord themselves over the Corinthians in turn to be paid and insert themselves as spiritual authorities. Paul is saying, everything I experience, my ministry is for you. I love you. This is gospel community on the ground. One of the benefits of this gospel is the reality that when we come to Christ, we are joined to his body. We're joined to his body. The church is God's chosen people that have been grafted into Christ and in turn tied to one another. And this gospel community mimics the reality that Paul's describing. They have shared comforts and they have shared afflictions The first way that these realities are experienced, the first one is in Christ, right? Sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings and abundantly in comfort. This is a type of paradigm that the New Testament uses often. It describes as a reality of affliction paired with a reality of redemption. So, for example, darkness and light, death and life, burial and resurrection, that they pair these things together to point to the ministry of Jesus. So that's what Paul is, coming, is, is bringing to mind. He's saying, if you share in his afflictions or his burial, then you will share in his resurrection, that you will share in his comfort. 
And are you like me and sometimes slipping into the belief that if we suffer, something abnormal is happening to you? When those unpleasant feelings arise and difficult things happen, I begin to wonder where God is and how could he let this happen? Or I question just how this, this suffering is okay, God, but how long is it going to last? How long is it going to last? When can we get back to normal? I'm tempted in that. Friends, the gospel invites us to patiently endure sufferings. Look at that in the phrase in verse 6. We experience gospel comfort when we patiently endure sufferings together. Patient endurance describes the faithful abiding in Jesus until the end of our suffering. Because he does put a time stamp on it. I love how one of our pastors uh, preached at the Christmas service that that he talked about how, how suffering and the enemy have a time stamp on them. That they will not endure forever like God's people in his kingdom will. So what he's saying is endure until the end. And do it patiently. What describes patient endurance? Patient endurance is characterized by things like faith and hope and abiding and resting. And that is opposed to what we might experience as a restless grumbling. And that was what I was referring to. It was what I'm tempted in. Is I'm tempted to be dissatisfied in my suffering and in turn in God. That I'm regularly tempted in that. But what this call is to patient endurance. Restless grumbling is a part of the struggle, even for Christians. And if you've walked with Jesus for a certain amount of time, you probably recognize that. You probably recognize that suffering causes you internal turmoil, and that that in turn has an impact on God. If you're particularly struggling with that, if suffering is bearing down on you, I think that the encouragement here is to abide in Jesus, stay in his love, and he will see you through it. That he will see you through it, either in this life or in the next one. Patient endurance lasts to the end and is characterized by a deep faith in abiding, and that you will cling to his promises to restore you, cling to his promises to keep you and to restore you. That's how patient endurance plays out in our, in our lives. In all types of suffering, not just certain types, we're called, we're called to abide in Jesus' love. But let me add a, ca- a caveat here, because it overlaps with care ministry in this text. We're not called to simply stay in every type of suffering that we come across. If you find yourself in an unsafe space, this text is not commanding you to stay there and patiently endure it. If you've experienced abuse at home or at work or at church or anywhere else, it's not disobedient to remove yourself from the unsafe environment. That's not the call here. The call is not to stay and endure that. But I think wisdom would invite you to seek help. And I would invite you to do that too. God made each and every one of you in his image and with a voice and with dignity. And that he gave you all of those things to use them. And so if you find yourself in an unsafe environment, you do not have to patiently endure that oppression. But we would invite you to seek help.
And that's, that's part of care ministry. That's part of what, what we want sojourn as a church and as a community. We want to model that. We want to help people to find safety and support, that they would find ways to connect with God and to connect with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We long for that to happen. So our staff, our pastors, our members, that we all want to be equipped to love and to care for those in abusive or oppressive situations. That's a value for us, and we want to live that out. Sorry for that caveat. That's just, that's just important to note, is that not all suffering are we required to simply stay in. Gospel communities care for one another, and they bear one another's burdens. Which brings us back to Paul and the Corinthians. In this section, Paul is encouraging us to share our comforts and afflictions with one another. And in the last section, he shares a personal testimony of affliction and how God delivered him from that bleak circumstance. He models what true vulnerability is supposed to look like. He's, he does not try to put on a happy face to show them how, how happy good Christians are all the time. That he acknowledge, acknowledges the suffering that he went through in Asia he acknowledges the severity of that suffering, right? It was bleak. He thought he had, ex- he had been given a sentence of death. He thought God was through with him. He thought his story was over, that he truly, he truly believed that. And then he shares his response, right? The bleakness of the experience and his response is, I thought my story was over. That, that's true vulnerability. He shared how bad it was, but he shared his response to it as well. I think whenever we share in our gospel communities, that we should model that true vulnerability, that we lead with our weak foot forward, that we're able to acknowledge our response to difficult circumstances. And the Corinthians are built up in turn. By his invulnerability, they are built up in love. They see God's faithfulness to Paul. They see God's deliverance to Paul. Paul is sharing not to simply to, for them to empathize with him, but to help them to see God is good and faithful and he's, he's worthy to put your trust in. Vulnerability breed, breeds that gospel fundamental, that we need one another. In Galatians 6.2, another letter of Paul, it says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This law of Christ is probably referring to Jesus' answer about the two greatest commandments, about being loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Paul gives the direct application of how churches do that, right? They, how do you fulfill the law of Christ? You bear one another, another's burdens. So this law is not a list of, of rules that, are meant to, that we're meant to practice ourselves in order to make sure that we are, we're good with God. It's not such an individual practice like that. But Jesus says the law is not about self-serving or looking out for number one. The law is about loving God and loving others. So in order to fulfill this law in Christ, we have a model of a Savior who did this perfectly, and now our communities are supposed to mimic that. We're supposed to be like Christ in the way that we do that. And it's hard. Gospel community is hard. It is challenging. We are different. We have different backgrounds. We have different beliefs. We have different experiences. But that we're united in Jesus. That, that one root, that one tie helps us to endure all of those things, and that, that that unity that we have in Jesus ought to be a prophetic proclamation to a world that's splintered, that we're one in Jesus, and that we abide in Him, and that we love one another. That is prophetic. So I just encourage us, make practice of that. Live that out. Be vulnerable with one another. 
True vulnerability is hard. But in 23, I want you to imagine what it looks like to truly be vulnerable. Some of us recognize our need to be truly known by others, but we choose not to share our struggles with others under the guise that we don't want to burden them. We avoid confession and vulnerability, and we justify it by telling ourselves that we will just continue to shoulder and bear others' burdens without making it a practice ourselves. What's insidious about this mindset, this mindset that I I can wear the Jesus hat, but I never have to be the lame beggar. I I can bear others' burdens, but I can handle my burdens on the own. This is is what I want to call, it's a humble pride. I think others need me to bear their burdens, but I can bear mine. I can take care of this on my own. Me and God can do this. God has given us means for change and means for help in his people in Sojourn Midtown. So I want to encourage you, true vulnerability is difficult, but make it a practice for yourselves in 23. And if you need to join gospel community, then I think that is a perfect step of a gospel fundamental to develop this year. To be in a situation where you can know others and be known by them. That, that, that is essential to your relationship with Jesus and a fundamental that without it, we won't endure. Brings me to my last point, gospel conformity. When it comes to care ministry, many of the opportunities that we get to minister come, they come in the face of incredibly difficult and challenging situations. Our care pastors and our care deacons and care servants, they have a unique gifting and a unique calling that propels them into the fire of suffering and loss and trauma. And we don't step into this situation out of obligation, but out of a deep desire to serve and shepherd and love those that are hurting. Oftentimes, there are people in our congregation that feel like Paul did in verse 8 and verse 9. They were burdened beyond our own strength. They were despaired of life ourself. But that is where conformity to Christ's image happens in and through afflictions. It's hard to get around the difficult fact that in the Bible, that God brings hardships on his people. That God is sovereign over all things that nothing happens outside of his will, that he rules over every blade of grass in the same way he rules over the nations. And so whenever we find ourselves in a storm or we find ourselves in suffering and afflictions, God is not absent from that. God is in that. And what he's doing is that he's helping us to see our finiteness. I love how we said that to experience his unlimitedness, we have to recognize our limitedness. That's how God is helping us to see he's forming us into Christ's image by making us dependent on him and not on ourselves. Dependent on him and not on ourselves is how God is conforming us to his image. The more and more we depend on him, the more Christ-like we are. The more that we depend on ourselves, the more we think that we can shoulder it and we can handle it, the less likely we are to see God's grace. Life pressures us. And if you can imagine this water bottle, right? Too much pressure here, and the water goes spewing. But what the pressure does is it revealed what's in the bottle. That's how suffering works in the Christian life. Whenever you go through suffering and affliction, the things that come out are the things that are deep in there that we're doing a really good job of pushing down. And so in your suffering, as you see what is in there, that it is not a 
I wouldn't invite you to self-pity, but to expose and bring the gospel fundamentals into that situation. So in 2023, if you don't like what you see, like many of us in your own hearts, recognize that in his kindness, God is leading you to gospel conformity and that it's a blessing. It is a painful blessing to experience. God rooting out bad fundamentals and instilling new ones. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Conformity to Christ. Christ's image helps us to have an unshakable hope. An unshakable hope in 23. We don't know how the year 23 is going to go. There will be blessings. We will see God's grace at sojourn. But we also, it's pretty guaranteed we'll experience hardship too. But what characterizes our faithfulness as we prayed is our unshakable hope. Both, both an, an eschatological hope that God is, God is going to save us and deliver us on the last day, but that that hope is also meant to be experienced here. And that we experience that in the comforts we receive in everyday life. That we receive that in the gospel community. And that we receive that as God is conforming us to his image. These are the gospel fundamentals that I invite you to take into 23. And to take some time contemplating, how do I establish these? Because God does change us by his, it is all by grace. But we want to make sure that we're putting ourselves in situations where grace is found. In the Bible, with brothers and sisters, in prayer, in his word. So in 23, I wanted to preach a sermon, not a home run, but a simple, a simple single of gospel fundamentals that will drive us to faithfulness and a deep abiding hope in the Lord. So it's our prayer for you that you would experience those in your sufferings and in your happiness. That happiness points us to true happiness in Jesus and suffering points us to the finished work on the day of Jesus when suffering ends. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.